Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Ridgeview Church. We're, we're so glad you're here. Uh, I realize there is so much going on in life, and uh, it's easy to take for granted sometimes what we do right here, which is gathering in the name of the Lord. And so I thank you for taking your time to, to be with us. We do expect when we gather in Jesus' name, uh, whether you know much about Jesus or not, uh, he, he works, he speaks to us, he helps us, and, and he leads us forward. He does that as a church. He does that also for us as individuals. And so we expect him to, to work as he always does, week in and week out. And so we're, we're excited to be uh, with each other and to see your face this morning. I wanted to start with just uh, a posture of prayer this morning for uh, just some people and to, to give some updates. Uh, in church life, we have uh, so many different people with, from different generations and backgrounds, and we're one body. And we're supposed to be a unified body. And, and with that, we're, we bear each other's burdens. And so we have just a couple brothers of our church who could use our prayers. Uh, Claire McCullough uh, was in the hospital last week, and uh, thankfully he's been discharged, but he's very uh, short on strength. And so we need to just pray for, for strength for him to really be able to get gain a function back to his body and walking, and uh, just pray for his uh, just mental health. As you know, as you're struggling with health, it, it's, it's, a, it's discouraging. And so just pray for him and Gwen, uh, his, his wife, uh, just that he'll be able to gain really back full his function, uh, his full health. And then another brother, uh, Dave Gonzalez, who uh, last year was, was baptized. He's uh, the oldest person I've ever baptized at Ridgeview, but somebody who really fears God and uh, loves him. And he's on our greeting team, but he's been away from Ridgeview the last uh, few months. And if you could just pray for health for him. Uh, he had a brain bleed a few uh, months ago, and he's had a lot of uh, physical problems because of that. And so uh, we want to pray for him as well and their family, uh, David, and, David and Susie Gonzalez, um, just for, for strength for them as well. And then finally, um, Luke Rosman, who I prayed for a few weeks ago, who's the nephew of Sammy and Pablo Rangel. Uh, here, here's a picture of him. Uh, a few weeks ago, he was in really the, the grip of, of death, and uh, God has spared his life. And uh, as of, I believe, it was Thursday or Friday, he's been discharged from the hospital. And so we praise God for that. Uh, we prayed for him as a church. I know many of the, amen. Um, he he has, has struggled and had so many uh, obstacles to his health since he was been born. He's four years old now. And uh, we prayed just as a church, we prayed in our small groups and people across the country and the world have been praying for Luke and there is power in prayer. And you say that and that can seem so cliche, uh, but it is true. Uh, there is times like the songs you sing where it's just hear us, Lord, and that's all you can do is you just pray out, you just cry out to God. We, we just, we need your help. There's nothing we can do. And it's, in this instance, uh, God has heard our prayers and um, he's set to meet Tuesday uh, with the specialists and all his caregivers. And if he's cleared, um, he'll be able to actually come home. He's been in Houston for uh, the last two months. And so we praise God uh, for how he's heard, and then we continue to pray uh, for those who, who need it. And so would you join me in prayer this morning? Uh, God, we thank you for Luke and just for sparing his life. We thank you that you are the almighty God, all-powerful, and yet you are so close. And you hear us, and we thank you for the prayers that you have heard. God, we pray for full and complete healing for Luke, for his family, 
that he'll have no just long-lasting after effects from all that he's faced. And we pray that through sparing his life and through the work that you've done, that your name will be glorified for decades to come. We pray for our brother Claire and our brother Dave. We ask, Lord, that you'll bring them back to full health, that you'll give them peace in the middle of the difficulties they're facing. We pray for strength for their families. We pray for the caregivers and all those that are helping. Uh, Lord, we thank you for those that are skilled and have knowledge we don't know, that care and are a part of just what you do through medicine. And then we also thank you for your supernatural power that even when our means and our resources stop, you continue. And so we just pray for your mighty hand uh, to be upon just our brothers. We also pray for those that are just struggling this morning uh, with their own health, with their own fears, with different things that are weighing on us. Lord, we surrender to you this morning. We ask for your help as we gather in your name. And we, we just ask that, that we'll be receptive to how you want to speak to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I want to continue this morning, and we're closing really our journey, which is called Joy in the Journey, on First Peter. And I hope that it's been encouragement to you to work through the book of First Peter. It's filled uh, with a lot of help and perspective. And really, the context is joy, but, but also hard things, uh, suffering is mentioned again and again in the book of 1 Peter, and pressure, and hardship, and obstacles, and just things that weigh. And, and the reason is, uh, Peter was writing this as we started the series, just as a reminder, Peter was writing this to Christians that were scattered in the first century, who were really trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian, to walk with God, in a place where people didn't understand them, they didn't support them, and in many instances, as the time went on, they actually came against them. And these new Christians were being persecuted for their faith. And if that wasn't enough, they faced hardship of, of just being short on means and resources and money and finances. And the church just felt like it was hanging by a thread. And so in this context of this like darkness, Peter continues to encourage the saints, the Christians in the first century. And it's under this cloud of darkness that you see uh, how important it is to continue to do good. And this morning, we're going to build on this concept of doing good. And what's interesting in 1 Peter is this emphasis on doing good and living your life is really contrast to how it feels when we struggle. I don't know about you, when you're discouraged, uh, that means a lack of courage. And when we have a lack of courage, we, we tend to uh, like really struggle with making progress in life. Like we, sometimes it's hard to get out of bed. Uh, sometimes it's hard to keep doing the same things and the, the little things and the chore things because like life just feels heavy. So Peter's emphasis has continued, like, it is dark, it is bleak, it can seem hopeless, and you may feel like that's how it is in our world at times. Like, you just look at the news, and I was just reading the news this morning, even before I was doing my sermon prep, and I thought, oh, Lord, how my mind has already shifted to the things which are so concerning. I don't know if you've experienced that, but before you know it, you're reading news, you're getting updates, and it can seem so bleak. And it sends you in a direction. We're, we're, we're very not neutral people. Like we're either moving forward with the right perspective or we move backwards most of the time. And we're in that tension point. And so I just had to, even before God this morning, I was like, God, help me. My mind is already like going down this wrong direction of like, I don't know, despair or a little bit of just unease or unsettled. 
And we read the scriptures, and what's so hopeful about the scriptures is like you have God's people throughout the centuries that have faced even more things than we've not seen in our lifetime, the loss of even just their brothers and sisters in Christ because of persecution. And so the reason I say this is, is whatever you're facing this morning, it is real. You don't have to act like it's not. And the darkness of our world and the darkness of our country and our state and even in your families, you look at decisions and you look at your own decisions and like it can feel hopeless. You don't have to deny that. But it's God's word that shines the light in the middle of that darkness. And that's always what we, we have to remember. It's in that darkness where the light shines. And that's the hope that we have. And what I love about First Peter, and I hope you've picked up on this, is just the, the emphasis again and again and again is you can't get stuck just in the struggle, you trust God through it, and he leads you through the struggle, and you, you don't just stay there. And I was doing just a, a brief overview of this emphasis of doing good. And, it, you know, do good in your life. It's like so generic. Like, do good. Pastor said, I need to do good today. Thanks, Pastor. Like, I need to do good. What does that mean? Well, in First Peter, he actually mentions this, like, good and good works and, like, the, the fruit of your life being something you need to pay attention to. 1 Peter 2.12, 1 Peter 2.15, 1 Peter 2.20, 1 Peter 3.6, 1 Peter 3.11, 1 Peter 3.16, 1 Peter 4.19, all of those in this one book, Peter is saying is like, you need this good to flow out of you. So think about how important that emphasis is. He's talking to Christians who are suffering, who are persecuted, but yet he's saying like, that's not the end result of your life. It's actually in the middle of those things where God uses you and the reason is, is, again, to review, like, we have a new life in Christ. If you're a Christ follower, you have new life. You're not stuck in the darkness. That does not define you anymore. Your past sins, the sins of mankind, they don't define you. You have new life. You have a new hope because of Jesus. You have a new salvation, and you have a new destiny. And that new destiny isn't just for eternity, so that we die and be with Jesus forever. The new destiny starts right here and right now. The new life in Christ starts here. It doesn't start in eternity. It's fulfilled in eternity. We experience it fully in forever, but we experience it here and now. So Peter's saying, God's people, you have to wake up. You can't be inundated with the problems and crouch back and shrink back from what God has. You have to, you have to do good. Live the life that God has for you here and now, and he will use you. There's this richness to the Christian life that if we don't live it in the middle of the darkness, nobody will see that light. Man, fear grows fear. Darkness grows darkness, but it's the light that penetrates it. It's the new life, the new salvation, and the new hope. And so if you could think of all of this, and Peter just keeps talking about doing good and then this suffering, and it's, it's hard. I, I know for myself, it's like, when you suffer, like, you don't want to do good. I mean, I face just little sufferings and most like the reflexes to complain, to be bothered, to feel down, and a range of all sorts of emotions. And what's really interesting is as we, we ended last week, Peter shifts and talks again of like suffering and the end of 1 Peter 3, and then he continues this theme of suffering in the beginning of 1 Peter 4. And he's saying, listen, like things do look bleak. And you don't need to sugarcoat it. And sometimes Christians are accused of like they don't live in the real world. But what it is, is we live in the real world, but we can't function like the people of the world that have no hope. We face the darkness. We don't run from it. But we don't turn to the darkness. We don't come dark. We have to shine. And we shine with the hope 
of Christ, not ourself. And so Peter is talking about this suffering. He had seen firsthand the suffering of Christ. He himself had begun to experience this. And like I've shared throughout this series, he himself, Peter would give his life for his faith. And so he knew very well of this emphasis of doing good in the middle of persecution, ultimately, which cost him his life, just like it cost our Jesus his life. And so Peter, to this section today, I, I, I just, it's so encouraging to me because he's talking about all of these bleak things. And then he shifts his, his audience and he's telling all these Christians and he's speaking to us today through the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, you know, that the end is near. So all of the things that, that you're facing, all of the difficulties, all the things that are weighing on you, in the context of what Jesus is doing and his return and what will happen when he returns all of that is, is very small in the scale of forever. With the work that God wants to do on a global scale, the work that God wants to do in your life on a very specific scale here and now, the things that we face, God cares about, but those things don't define us. He, he's writing this like greater picture of redemption through your life and through my life and through our life as a church. And he's saying, listen, for all of these things that we're facing, as difficult as they are, and this emphasis on doing good, you have to focus on the fact that the end, is mere, the end is near and you have to focus on what matters most. And that is a word for us today. Your life and my life is actually, the scriptures say, it's a vapor in the book of James. It's here and then it's gone. I've been having like a moment in my own life. I'm 42, I'm gonna be 43. Now some of you are like, you're just a whippersnapper still. It doesn't feel like it when I get out of bed, you know? Like I hear snaps, it's not a whip or snapper. I just hear a snap in my knee or whatever, you know? And my, my daughter's getting older and she's like gonna be leaving home and I'm like, I, I'm processing like, like for, you know, parenting, you, you, you prepare for this and then it's starting to happen. You're like, I don't want this. It's like, it's like the, the change of things. Like I'm experiencing in a different, like our kids are getting, you know, older and my, my son is celebrating his 12th birthday on Tuesday. And then it's like next year, he's gonna be a teen. I'm like, He's a teenager. What? How's that? You know, and you just, I don't know, like the brevity of life, like the older I get, I, I, I realize it more. And so for people who are older, like I, I get it. It's different. Your perspective does shift as you get older. And, and what, what Peter is saying is actually, it's even greater than that. It's really like beyond just like the lifespan of your life. If you think of your life as like God gave you this gift for right here and right now, and you have it right here, and then it's gone. Like how crucial is your decisions that you make? The relationships that you have, your reactions to your problems, the conversations that you engage in, the way that you respond, the relationship to your spouse, the relationship to your coworkers, the relationship to your kids, like these things you have, and it's only right here and right now. And you never know how long you'll have it. And then the context of eternity, you don't even know when Jesus is gonna return. And this is the context for which Peter is speaking. Let's read it together. It says, the end of all things is at hand. Now, this was written, written what, 2,000 years ago? What? That doesn't make any sense. At hand, it's like here. Peter, like, is he like a weather forecast? That seems a little off. Remember old school, like technology with the weather, you could never trust it. Now it's getting a little, you know, accurate, but but it's like, if you notice the scriptures in the New Testament, the end is imminent, the end is here. And you're like, what on earth? 
They thought that? He's not returned yet? How is it at hand? And, and Peter is, is speaking to this, this sense of, again, in eternity, it is at hand. The reason it's also at hand is because Christ already came. The end times began when Christ came. So in the span of eternity, it's here. The vapor of life is real because we never know when Jesus will return. If anyone knows when Jesus will return, don't listen to them. Because the scriptures say you don't know. He'll come like a thief in a night. Do people know when thieves come? No. Nobody knows. But what Peter is saying is it's not the, this exact time. It's really the recognition and the perspective that Christ's power and his imminence and his eternal wrapping up of history is right before us. And it could happen at any moment. And he's saying, you need to be ready. You need to be ready for this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, this is what I like about Peter. In the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the bleakness, in the middle of everything you're facing, you don't cower back. You don't be passive. Peter's emphasis is never on just pull into yourself and do nothing. It's always you must act. You've got something to do. This is what he says. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received the gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, I don't know, when I read that, you almost think Peter's done. Like it's the end of his letter. But he has like a whole nother chapter. But it's in this section where Peter is just giving like this, this word from God, the inspired word from God. They needed it when he wrote to all those Christians scattered. They needed that word from God. And you know what? We need this word from God. That's the power of God's revealed word. It's inspired and it's revealed. Unless God revealed it, we would not know it. And so when we open God's word, he speaks and he speaks to our time and to us and to you and to me. And so I just want to dig into some of these emphasis that I think is so important just for, for perspective. And like I said, a Christ returning could happen anytime. So we have to, to live like it. Matthew 24 says this. It says, this is why you also must be ready. Same, see, Peter is like emphasizing again what, what he's heard his Lord say. Because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, why hasn't the Lord, through his word, revealed when Christ would return? You ever wondered that? Why is it somewhat of a mystery? Now, again, we can be so, uh, it, it's easy to try to focus on like, what are the signs? What are the wonders? There's people like, well, he's coming. You can see it. Well, when Peter said the end is near, didn't he say things? And 2,000 years have passed. So it's really interesting. In a way, I think that's part of what the Lord has done in the mystery and the unknown of the exact time when we cannot expect it is because of a few things. If we knew when Christ would return, and we knew it wasn't in our day, wouldn't it be so easy to be lazy? Well, you know, he didn't choose our generation to return. So maybe we just kind of don't have to take it seriously. 
because he's not coming in our day. So we'd pull back and be easy to be passive. You know, it's like the things that you do when no one's looking, right? He's not, he's not gonna come back. But then what if the opposite, he was gonna come back in our time? Now, on one hand, that's like, that would be amazing for us to see. But on the other hand, it's like, what does that look like? And that could easily give in to fear. And so really, it's the unknown of Christ returning that allows us to get past the passivity and the laziness and at the same time get past the fear, if we did know. God did that on purpose. He knows us. He knows the way our mind works. And so we're supposed to live with this expectancy of he could return at any moment. But notice the emphasis of what Peter is saying that echoes what Jesus is saying. The emphasis is what? Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. So it starts with your thoughts. Be careful what you think about. What it is is don't let your thoughts go rampant. Don't just not have a filter for, for your thinking. Put the filter of God's word so that you can think correctly about how you should live. And don't lose sight of your heritage, your identity, to the point where you're, you're so lost in your own world. So if you just let your thoughts go and you chase fears or you chase the unknown, and you can even chase trying to figure out when Jesus is going to return, but you can get so lost in the unknown of things, in the worries of this world, in the things that you don't know, that you really stop doing the things that you do. And that's one of the things that happens with anxiety and fear and worry. The more you focus on that, the less you're actually equipped to do what God's called you to do. You ever notice that? How it can just take you out? Your thoughts can take you out. You're connecting and relating, and all of a sudden, you have a thought, and it sends you down this wrong path. And before you know it, you're kind of withdrawn because there's things going on in you, this turmoil. And those fears and those anxieties really are real. But they grow the more you emphasize, the more you focus on, the more you think about. And so that's what Peter is saying is the end is, is here. We have to live like it. And it starts with just making sure that your thoughts keep in check. I don't know about you, but my thoughts, I was on a walk this morning and I was just praying and there was this uh, man walking with this like cute boxer. And you know, man, I live, you know, in North Fontana and there's dogs everywhere. And one of the things I like is just, I like to watch dogs. I like to watch dogs. I don't own a dog, but I like to watch them. And as I'm walking, this, this little, this boxer, and I'm walking behind him, and this boxer would just stop, and he's just, he just kept looking at me. And I'm just walking, and just kept looking at me. And I just was like, we were, we were bonding, okay? I was, I was bonding with a boxer this morning. And the owner just kept trying to pull the dog, and the dog just couldn't, just got, you know, so distracted. Finally, the owner stops, has the boxer sit, and waits for me to pass. I'm like, dude, I'm the, I'm the problem. Actually, there's more to this story than that. You're like, well, you know, that, that's actually, again, what, what the, the thoughts are. Like, we're, we're like those boxers. We're like a dog where you just like, you get so distracted by the wrong things. And what was happening is, is like, there was no progress. There was no movement down to the point where it's like, you have to get me as the distraction out of the way. And that's what Peter's saying is if you want the Lord to be able to use you and you have to make the most of the time you have on this life, however short or however long it is, Either Jesus will return or your days will be numbered and your life will wrap up. One of the two will come. But it starts with your thoughts, how you filter them. 
And I want to start there because Peter is so practical, but oftentimes the barrier to us living and doing the good that God calls us to do, it's because we don't have the right emphasis on how to screen our thoughts. And so for me, one of the things I've had to do, and this is like off, off the page here, one of the things I've just had to do is, is recognize how often in my own life I think thoughts that are not true. And I want to encourage each of you. If you have a thought that's not true, you don't think about those thoughts. Because it's not true, it's not helpful to you. The truth, the scriptures say, will set you free. God's word. Lies, they chain you up. But some of the time what we think is because we have a thought that we should think about it because we had it. But there are certain thoughts you do not think about. You know, it's like questioning God's goodness to you. Like, am I accepted by God? Am I forgiven by him? All of the things that Peter's been building on this new life, this new salvation, you're washed clean, you're bought at a price, Christ died for you. Those are the things you have to think about, the truth. And then comparison, you begin to get into that, the complaining, the grumbling. You have to really shore those thoughts up. If you don't, they grow. And the problem with those lies is the more they grow, the more they become normal. And I think one of the biggest issues we have in our day is we just have people that see the lies as truth, and they're deceived. And one of the saddest things you'll see in this life is deceived people thinking they know the truth. But it can happen to us. And there's some thoughts that aren't even your own. They're implanted by the enemy to take you in the wrong direction. And so you really have to pay attention to those thoughts. And just ask yourself, does this line up with the truth of Scripture? Philippians 4.8, whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's noble, whatever's trustworthy, you think about these things. If it's not right, you don't think about it. If it's not true, you don't think about it. If it's not trustworthy, you don't think about it. If you don't know, you pray and ask God, like, God, I have this thought. If that's from you, will you make it clear through your word? But if this is an attack of the enemy, I pray against it in the name of Jesus. Just learn to pray against things. Does that make sense? This is very important because all the good that God wants to do through your life it's going to often be connected to your thoughts. It leads us down a direction. So let's focus on some specifics. The end is near. We have to make the most of the opportunities, the most of our life. The first is we, we have to love each other deeply, a theme in First Peter again and again. This is what is so great. The suffering, the darkness, the bleakness, the anxious thoughts. And then what's the emphasis? How do you love people? Our day is like, like mental health and self-focused and we have to feel better about ourselves. If you actually want to feel better about yourself, love somebody else. You don't need to love yourself more. We love ourselves enough. It's true. Love others. Then you become healthy. And you, you actually realize like this, this emphasis, if we just are so focused on ourselves, uh, we actually lose really the, the bearings of our life. Because we're, we're not the center of the universe. It's not all about us. It's about this almighty God that's redeemed us, and saved us, for us to extend this love, like we're this conduit of his love to others. First Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. 
What a great word. The end is near. It's at hand. And then what, what does Peter say? Above what? All. Knowing that, knowing that emphasis, your life is short above all what? Love each other earnestly. An authentic way. Really, it, it's saying like, not in bitterness. Like we let things go. If you want to love each other earnestly, like don't keep score. And you, you just love people freely. And that is hard. That will cost you so much of your life because it's so easy to keep score. And so the only way you can really love each other earnestly, like Peter's saying, is you have to be in God's word. Let him speak to you. And there's just times in my own heart where I say, God, will you warm up my cold, hard heart and just break some of the scales that I have? And it will cost you. That's what it means to love each other earnestly, love each other deeply. And why is that so important? Well, when we're in crisis, when we're struggling, stress is higher, right? Things just feel a little bit more bleak, and so we feel threatened. And so as things are hard in our lives, as in the church we face hard things, like whatever those things are, it's like the love that puts the right perspective, like God, God will help us. Let's not lose sight of our, our love for each other. Our love's crucial when we're, when we're under tremendous pressure. Uh, Colossians 3, this is Paul, but notice the, the same emphasis. It says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, very interesting, right? This is how you know it's the word of God. Two different men writing it two different times, two different backgrounds, two different audiences. Verse 14, and above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Doesn't that echo what Peter is saying? That's the word of God. You see this emphasis, these thematic things that come out. It's very important to pay attention to these things. And above all, what is love? It, it just it covers a multitude of sins, and then it, it just brings this harmony together. But notice that like this love, if you really want to love each other earnestly, it's forgiving and being quick to forgive. That's really important. So we have to pay attention to the way that we treat each other. Like sin, we have to take seriously. We have to make things right if we sin against each other. That's why we have hard attitudes here. You know, we want to clear up relationships. It's a big part of it. Our Lord's Supper, that's what we do because of this. We want to, we want to forgive. And then the beginning of 13, we want to bear with one another. That's part of love. And so loving each other deeply. So one of the ways, just practically, it's so easy again. I have all sorts of things in my life. You have all sorts of things in your life. But one of the greatest ways that you can love is just consider what other people have going on in their life and check in on them. And so uh, re- reach out to people. I encourage you, it, you know, if you're part of Ridgeview, and if you're new, you don't need to do this yet because you might not be ready, but get each other's contact information. Like, it's very hard to reach out to people if you don't know how to get a hold of them. When you think about that, like the church in the old days, like, you just encourage like the congregation, go visit each other. Like you'd have to just go to each other's house or maybe write a letter, get it in two weeks. Hopefully that will help you when you receive, you know, but think about like we, we have technology where we can connect like instantaneously now. But you can only do that if you know people's contact information. So think about that. But reach out, check on, follow up, talk with people. Talk with people, just listen, uh, serve by gift, say a prayer, 
This morning I was here and I was singing and God just said, you need to pray for somebody. And I left and I prayed for them. That's what God is like. That's, that's how you love people. You just pray for people. Sometimes you pray with them. Sometimes you pray at home for them. Does that, does that make sense? Like this is, the end is near. We have to love each other deeply. Um, number two, Peter goes on. Verse nine, show hospitality even when inconvenient. First Peter 4 to 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Just, I don't want this to just kind of be glossed over, but the end is near. The Lord's return, the wrapping up of this time as we know it is coming, and it could happen at any time. And we're supposed to love and then show hospitality. I mean, it's like of all the things, you kind of think like, isn't it supposed to like make sure your food supply is up? Make sure you've got your life insurance nailed down. Make sure you're checking on all your responsibilities, on all your tasks, your, you know, check your boxes. And Peter's saying, no, it's about people. You love them. Like that's the, the posture is like, how can God use me? And then show hospitality. And I love, I love this. Show hospitality to one another without what? Grumbling. What that means is, one of the biggest obstacles to being hospitable, you know what I'm, you know, it's inconvenient. My wife and I, we, we've experienced this and we planted Ridgeview and there, there's been so, so many things in my house uh, through the years and we thank God for that. Like Ridgeview started in, in our house. There's so many times I'm like, dude, our house is messy. And we just cleaned it this morning. And then we ate and we, we've had, like, we've strategically, like, we're going to eat out. And we're going to come back right before this event. You know, because it, it, it is, like, things get messy. But hospitality isn't this entertaining. It's, it's not that you have to, like, make sure you appear a certain way. It's, it's actually, literally, hospitality is the welcoming of strangers. And in this context, the strangers are really the people that don't live there. It's not necessarily you just pull anyone off your street. But it's if they don't live in your house, they're a stranger, right? They don't belong there. But you, you, you need to invite those people in. You open up your door. You let others come in. You literally welcome people that don't live there into your home. And you make them feel like they could live there. So that's why it's not entertaining. Because it's okay for people to see mess in your home. I don't really believe that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I want to believe that. I'm just being honest. Like that, I'm not there yet. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, the hospitality is like your, your willingness to just be like, hey, like we're family and just move the socks that are on the couch and like don't reach into the couch. But if you do, like, could you throw that goldfish that's been there? Not, not the fish, but the cracker. You'll smell if it is the, you know, Okay. So, so, so let me just, why would Peter say grumbling? I, I think this is important. So why would we grumble? And, and you're normal if you don't want to have people over your house. Can I just say that? That's normal. Why? Well, your house needs to be cleaned. And you're not usually waking up like, I can't wait to clean my house most of the time. Uh, you're also tired. Do you want to welcome people that don't belong in your home when you're tired? Not usually. 
It's like, I'll let you in, but I'm going upstairs, so let yourself out, right? Um, have you ever just thought like, well, I'd invite these people over, but we don't really have anything? Like, we don't have, we don't have any food. Like, even our water, I don't know if they could drink, you know? It's like, you just, you haven't planned for it. Or, or it's like your kids, they, they have, like, they've got their activities, they have their homework, like, how could I invite people over? Because we have all these things we have to do. And then, um, oh, what if, what if I invite them that just kind of feels weird? Like, they don't want to come to our house? Like, that, are we there yet, you know? The only way you know if you're there yet is if you invite somebody. And they say, oh, th- thank you, that sounds interesting. If they say that sounds interesting, they may not be ready. But you, you know what, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying is like we can list everything that would cause us to not be hospitable. But don't let that prevent you from doing it. That's why he starts with the mind. You have to be self-controlled and sober. You have to ask yourself, is that really true? Will that really impact this relationship if they see a little bit of a mess? If it's not planned. If I just say, you know what, guys, I didn't have any time to buy anything. We may have two Oreos that are a little stale, and you're welcome to have it. Like, if somebody said that, I'd like, this is great. Like, I get that because we have two Oreos at our house, too. Like, it's all normal. You know what I'm saying? So this is, I, 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 this is very important, though, in all the things that I'm saying. If we're not growing in hospitality, the church will not grow. Absolutely. If you're not growing in hospitality, you will not grow. And if you're always the one going over to other people's house, it's probably your turn. Something to think about. Okay, last one. Use your gifts to serve others. So love each other deeply. Show hospitality, even when inconvenient, and then use your gifts to serve others. First Peter 4, it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that, that God supplies uh, this is actually really striking, and I'm, I'm running out of time. But what Peter is saying is you actually are uniquely wired. If you're a Christ follower, if you don't know much about spiritual gifts, if you're a Christ follower and you become a Christian, at the moment you decide to follow Christ, you get a spiritual gift that God uses to build up the church. It's not for you. It's specific for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, we could have similar gifts, and on your handout, I encourage you that I've given some scriptures that you could read some more about spiritual gifts. I don't have enough to really go into all the spiritual gifts. This is something that I think we need to talk more about in the church. And I need to emphasize this more. Yeah, full disclosure. But one of the things about the spiritual gift is like you could receive maybe, uh, there's people who have the gift of teaching. They teach and it just makes sense to people, but it's unique to each person. So even if somebody has the same gift, it's not like the other teaching gift that maybe someone else has. It's like everything is unique because Every spiritual gift is unique to the person who receives it. So it's like this beautiful tapestry of God's handiwork in the people of God. This doesn't exist anywhere else. It's not like this just is a concept that exists in our world. No, it is specific to the church. Through God's people, at salvation, you get a gift. And it could be leadership. It could be encouragement. It could be mercy. It could be teaching. It could be administration. There's a whole list of these things. But it's always to build up the church. And notice what Peter is saying. To extend God's grace. It's this just kindness that people experience. This charity. As you serve the church, 
You bring something that only you can bring. That's so important for you to hear this morning. Many of you serve, and God bless you, because you're uniquely doing something that no one could do like you. What a beautiful reminder that is. You matter deeply to the church. And we do get tired, and sometimes we feel discouraged and overwhelmed, and we lose our heart, but God uses you. When you show up in Jesus' name, God uses you. If you're not serving here at Ridgeview, I want to encourage you. Our church, and this isn't to like guilt you, and it, it really isn't, but if you're not serving, our church is actually missing out on experiencing the gift that you could bring. You ever think about that? Like if everything has, if everyone has a unique way to contribute and they don't, then you don't experience that unique contribution. Does that make sense? Like that shows the end is near. My life is short and God's given me a gift to use. If you don't use it, it doesn't benefit the body of Christ. One of the things I'm praying for as our church is like, God, you've given us people and we've been growing. But Lord, it's not to count numbers in a chair and just empty faces. You've given us people with unique gifts to build up your church. And I take that stewardship very seriously because I want to see the kind of church that God's building. It doesn't matter my own idea. He does it through the people. And that's what what Peter is is saying. And so uh, on the connection card, if if you're not serving here at Ridgeview, uh, you don't have to sign your life away. Aren't you glad I said that? Like, you know, (laughs) thanks, Pastor. That was helpful. Um, But... You can volunteer, and we have people that are on like regular rotations, and if you don't know, this is just brief like what our volunteering looks like. Um, m- most people serve like on a month, and then they're off a month. And we have two services, and it's like serve during a service and then attend the other service. We, you really do want to, if you're serving, you want to hear the word of God. You want to be singing together. And so there's people that when you're serving, you may be serving for you know one service, attending your Sundays a little bit longer. That, that's part of like serving the body in our structure right now. Um, but don't let that prevent you from serving. If you're like, I can't commit to anything, just serve once. Just let us know. Like, I, I'm, I don't know what I can do, but I'm willing to serve once. Don't let, like, the structure prevent you from serving. You could serve for an event that we're doing. You could help with the fall fun night that we have coming up. You could help with a Christmas event. You could help with Easter. If it's just like, all I got is one thing. I can do one thing. It's like, the Lord will use you for that one thing. I believe that. And so just get a taste of helping out. Oh, God will use you. And so I, I encourage you to do that. I want to wrap up, just invite the band up. For me personally, th- this is just in the middle of everything in my life. This is such a good reminder for me personally. And I hope it is for you. With all that's going on, what an opportunity we have to love each other deep, deeply, to show hospitality and then use our gifts. I didn't take any of those verses out of order. This is what Peter says. Like, man, the, the end is near. It's at hand. History is wrapping up. Christ is going to return. Our life is a vapor. And then he gives us these three directives to do. As we do that as a church, 1 Peter 4.11 says this. I read this, but in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's the hope we have in the church, is in the end, 
that God's name will be lifted high as we love each other deeply. As we welcome people in our home, his name will be lifted high. As we use our gifts to serve the church, his name will be lifted high. It's God's people doing what God has told us to do. And he'll be glorified. And his power and his dominion and his kingdom goes on forever. And we get to be a part of that. This is a gift from God, the opportunity that he's, he's given us. So there's a couple next steps. Uh, the first is host someone. I dare you. Just do it. And if you want to buy two Oreos, just buy two, you know? That's a terrible, terrible example, but uh, host someone. And maybe you're not ready, but just, like, let's meet for coffee, like, neutral, neutral hosting. Okay, but, but show hospital, like, reach out. Like, just welcome, welcome somebody. And then uh, second, as we close out, read 1 Peter 4 and 5 this week as we prep for wrapping up the series next week. Just get into God's word, allow God to speak to you. Let's pray together. God, we, we thank you for your word, which is specific, it's practical, and it's relevant. So many in our day try to be relevant and try to get attention through the noise that gets our attention through fear or through power struggles, but you actually get our attention with the truth. And it is this truth which guides us, and we want to take it literally. So God, help us to take steps towards your truth, to love each other deeply, to show hospitality without grumbling, and to use our gifts to serve. God, we thank you for all the many people that you brought to our church, their unique personalities, their backgrounds, their pasts, their experiences, who they are, the year they were born, where they live, everything that's unique to them, and how you brought us and weaved us right here and right now for something magnificent. So we expect you to continue to work through our church as you work in us, and we look forward to seeing what you do. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.